Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. My guest today is Josef Fruchek. Hi Josef. Hey, hi, hey Eyal. Thank you very much for the invitation. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming on. I'm really excited for this one. Um, what's an idea that's been helping you live well? <laughs> you you prepared me that this question would come, <laughs> but it came <laughs> in the very start. Uh, I guess uh, what helped me is the other people, right? Uh, I am through them. So yes, the relations I somehow was lucky to create with the others uh, really helped me to solve most of my challenges that are that I faced in my life. So I would say it's the other creatures around me that really gave me enough of support and scaffolding when I really needed it or when I could not uh, be alone. So yes, that helped me the most, uh, interrelation. Wow, that, that is beautiful, you know. So the most interesting thing about this podcast is that it's almost, it has close to 100 episodes and no two people ever chose the same Uh, I think maybe once, like there's one concept that's been chosen by two people, but you'd think that relationships would have already featured, but they haven't. So I'm really happy that it's, it's coming now. And, um, this resonates, um, a lot with me as, as you'll hear, I'm sure. Um, how has this kind of come up, bubbled up into your consciousness? um through the years like what would be a time where you realize this is something to watch out for because i think that for a lot of us um let's say western society definitely europe and israel and the us um we're very individualistic already by default mm. um so would that be fair to assume that the default was more about the ego Well, you know, for me, it was, um, I didn't have to find it. It kind of came to me, thanks to the people that have been with me from the early time of my life, right? Uh, my, my father was a uh, hunter. He loved uh, to be in the nature all the time. So I've been exposed to a rather complex environment from very early age to an environment that uh, gave me a lot of resistances. So that was the one that I needed to... kind of cope or learn how to map the environment in order not to get lost. And I, I mean it literally, but also metaphorically, <clears throat> because being in nature, you know, nature always seems so romantic, right? But just get stuck somewhere in the mountains in a bad weather and you will understand that you might not make it just 400 meters mm. down by yourself. So there's nothing really romantic about nature unless you truly understand it and can a little bit predict the evolution of different states of nature, right? evolution of the of the of the weather or the quality of the path you are walking on when the when the weather changes and then also orientation on how i can return back to home so that mapping element became very very important i did understand that every step i take in a nature i need to kind of map look around how how is my relation to a different landmarks and different um, um, if you translate it also to your normal life like these landmarks are not only where are the mountains and rivers but also where are the people that can offer you um, a support that can offer you an insight into the world and maybe lower the complexity of the environment you know because when we talk about complexity that we meet in life when when there is someone around you that 
that understands better their life, they can lower the complexity for a little while until you get kind of introduced and then you can cope with it by yourself and find your own mm. solutions. Wow. Yeah, this this is a very timely discussion. Yeah, this balance between, you know, uh, I think that people's inner lives, like the other people that are around us and nature, if we actually look at every detail and pay attention to it, we would be fastly overwhelmed, right? Mm -hmm. It's almost hard to make sense. Like this is chaos, basically. So yeah, and at, at the on the other hand, if you simplify everything into these like very, very black and white categories, you're not going to go very far either, right? And um, yeah, isn't it all about finding the right... Uh, measure of complexity and yeah. uh isn't it isn't it wisdom to as 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 the years go by to be able to be more comfortable with more and more complexity without being overwhelmed that almost seems like a fair way to describe uh wisdom in a sense yeah. well look the the complexity is not always the same complexity changes Right. If you if we talk about the nature, then mm -hmm. or physical environment, uh, then we would say that it can be at different states at a different time at different places. Right. So that's how the complexity can change. But the complexity changes also by I feel good, I feel mm, meaningful. I have a meaningful trajectory through the nature. So I am willing to observe the salient most important cues that will allow me to pass through that landscape, or I am being placed there and I do not want to be there. Uh, maybe I'm injured. Um, maybe. So all these little factors change drastically the complexity of the environment and how we should be or could be interacting with it, right? Uh, so yes, eventually... Or what we like, we look for that economy. We look for lowering the complexity so much that we eventually rob ourselves from life. Right? So, mm -hmm. yes, as, as you said, there has to be the right balance to what kind of complexities. And if if the complexity is not being offered, then how we search for it in order to um, stay alive and stay complex and stay interested in life. Yeah, and so... Yeah, what what would be a, a way for you to 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 make that present the, the complexity and and create that balance? Um, someone, I had a friend, and that he told me, Joseph, there is something very particular about you when I was younger, and and I said, what is it? And he says, well, you do not wait until life puts an obstacle, and then you trip over that obstacle and you fall. It seems like you are very um, actively putting those obstacles into your life voluntarily and <laughs> kind of trying to just play with different obstacles and how you could solve them. So I could also define that most of the last maybe 25 years what I spent time on is look at different troubles, look at different challenges, look at different resistances from people or environments or situations. And I was looking how we could potentially creatively solve them and how many different strategies mm -hmm. we could find just as an, not as an exercise, but as an experience of life, right? Um, I'm always so impressed that a life never goes as we expected, right? So the, my question was always, how do you practice today if you do not know what tomorrow brings? 
because it seems like we mm-hmm. always train in the same way. Uh, there is certain authority that tell us what is the world about, right? So there is someone who tells you, well, train like this and you will get res- this result. Follow this protocol and this will be the result. But in fact, this hardly ever works because there is so much of individual differences, right? Uh, so I am, I am interested in looking at different uh, problems and trying to see how many variables, how many creative solutions I could have to solve them and not feel burdened by trying to solve the problems, but rather being inspired to meet the obstacles. Yeah, I love it. So I, I hear I hear the term really implied the term intentionality in there of, of like intentional living, not waiting for the for the problems to to just appear and while there are no problems, just pretend that everything is is solved. And I've been fascinated with that tendency in our culture of really idealizing the the, the good life or living well as not having problems and i've been thinking about this like why is why does this seem to be the default do you think it's a it's a universal thing among people or is it a, a cultural thing that we need to grow out of um and what what could be the origin of this really self-defeating attitude of kind of hoping there won't be any problems and being very disappointed when they eventually show up because it's inevitable. Mm-hmm. Very nice. I, I, when I start my mentorship, I usually start with uh, two sentences. I said, you have to only really learn two things. Love life means that don't be mechanical in life. Enjoy, be available um, to life. Uh, um, expose yourself to life. Meet the life. Um, I think become available to life. It's quite a nice expression. And on the other hand, I say be able to solve life challenges. These are really only two things we have to learn in our life. There's nothing more. But then mm-hmm. over a longer period of time, I realized there is some kind of weird notion coming out of those two sentences. When what I've seen in my students is that it seems like that there is be loving life, and then there is this interruption when there are some kind of challenges, and then oh my god, we need to solve them. And so I had to change that over some years. And I said, okay, we, yes, we need to learn how to love life and how to solve life challenges. But uh, the sentence should look like this. We are loving to solve life challenges. So somehow we feel happy, not happy. Uh, you cannot be happy if there are constantly challenges, if there is constant chaos. But you uh, take as a usual aspect that you cannot be in control of life. It seems like, you know, um, even when we walk, we control our world, uh, our walking. When we talk about homeostasis, we says maintain the homeostasis. But we very rarely say, wait a minute, this is discussion, this is dialogue, this is negotiating our balance. So there is this kind of in-betweenness between us and the world. So what creates the well-being and joy is that something between us and the world, that something, that meeting point, that dialogue, And if we are capable Mm. of keeping the dialogue alive, then everything will be okay. But if we assume that the world is in a certain way and we try to hold that world in place, then that kind of hypothesis of the world will create a friction, will create a lot of errors, will create a tiredness, depression, injuries. You will be basically bumping into that world all the time. Yeah, I I really appreciate that. So, you know, I know that you're um, active when it comes to uh, dance, 
and also uh, movement of different kinds. And yeah, I have to assume that this greatly helped you gain this insight because I could immediately see how, you know, in any of these activities, there's the type of flow rather than kind of wishing to impose something on someone. Um, and I think we best see it, make it tangible when we do see this, maybe two people dancing together or something like that. The the harmonious flow between uh, one person and the other where it depends on both and it depends not only on skill of how to move or something like that, but first and foremost about um, trust, right? And goodwill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, you know, well, I base my research and my practice on evolutionary theories, biology, and physics. Uh, and that gave me a really, really strong base. So for me, doing movement or it's just a one small part of everything that we do. But what we based our practice on is kind of eight biological pillars or eight life-supporting functions. So in order for any living organism to stay alive, you basically need you need eight kind of supporting functions. And they are maintain boundaries, understand better who you are, right? Which could be your phenotype, which could be your identity that you created over the time. So maintain your boundaries, separate yourself from the environment, keep a disc equilibrium to the external environment in order for you to exist, in order to have a certain amount of autonomy when the environment goes crazy. Then secondary thing is being able to move means that you are, you are not only capable of moving, but you are moving in a universal way that can then tune itself into different contexts and different environments. So we have kind of open sensory motor format. You are capable of not only moving, but learning new movements. You have that kind of openness, that willingness mm -hmm. to be open to find a new motion. It's not becoming loyal to one style. Oh, I'm doing this martial art. I'm doing yoga. I'm doing Tai Chi. That doesn't really mean anything. What we need to understand, we have sensory motor format. And with that sensory motor format, we try to communicate with the environment. And then we are asking to what degree that format is open or closed. And then third one is we need to be able to respond to the environment, right? And not only to the environment, we need to respond to our internal states, internal states and keep them in a low entropy. So we try to remain our structure and function inside of ourselves. And then we also need to respond to the changes of external environment and combination of both hypotheses, both sampling, you're constantly sampling your internal state, you're sampling what's the world around us, we are making hypotheses about it. Out of that, we kind of create best possible kind of policies or behavioral actions, certain sequence of actions to minimize the errors and try to confirm our own existence. So these are kind of first three aspects. So maintain boundaries, move and respond. And they have a lot of depth, but this we don't have time for that. And then you have another three. And this is digest, metabolize and excrete. Means how do you digest nutrition? And it's not only air and water and food of different kinds, but how do you digest the environment, right? Whom you meet, how do you feed yourself with which kind of information? Because really aging is a loss of information. So we are aging because we mm -hmm. are missing information. And, you know, in order to bring that information back, we need to nourish ourselves. So in which kind of environment are you operating? What you can extract out of that environment? Which kind of intelligent 
questions do you ask, means how do you cook that environment in order to reveal the information that would be necessary for you. And then you have a digestion, which is basically energy management. How do you manage your energy during the day, during your season of life, in your entire life, and then how you clean. So because you digest it, you metabolize their byproduct, and then you need to clean them. You go to toilet, you tzika, you kaka, right? And you take showers, mm-hmm. but you also need to wash your bones, your ligaments, your tendons, your fascia. You need to help your lymphatic systems to clean up your organism. So how do you clean? Maybe how do you clean your apartment? Maybe how do you clean your clothes, your teeth, your relations? So this is another triad. So it's digest, metabolize, and excrete. And then you have two other, which is grow. And we can grow as a biological organism only to certain size, and then we cannot grow anymore, Mm -hmm. but we can innovate means that growth is about innovation and then you can set the clock backwards you can become younger because you innovate because you're looking at the things in a different way or you are able to combine things that no one ever combined before and then you have a reproduction reproduction means not only creating another human but reproduction means sharing the ideas with the others propelling like richard Dawkins says meme propelling and ideas, propelling um, inspirational material to the other people. And if you inspire other people, they feedback on you and then you can be more nourished again and ask because they will ask you questions and you can answer them and you can educate yourself or learn with them um, forever for the rest of your life. So these eight life-supporting functions, they should be part of your life in some way or another. If they are not, your body will your body, your organ, you as an organism in its totality. So we don't have to talk about body and mind because there is no separation. But you, uh, your your totality will suffer in some way or another. And so we have to find that intelligent balance between those eight life-supporting functions in order to have enough of openness to engage in a dialogue with the world. Yeah, that's fantastic. That's, that's brilliant, to be honest. Um... It's yeah, there's so much to unpack there, obviously. And like you say, we don't, we don't have time for all of it. So I'll try to pick, to pick the <laughs> parts that really, um, the thoughts that really surface to my mind. There's something about, um, enriching your repertoire and making it as big as possible when it comes to your thoughts. So creative thought, you know, to me, creativity, I know that scientists are, are not going to sign off on, on any one definition, but it's, it's, basically bringing into one mind two previously disconnected things, right? And then seeing, yeah. oh, there is some chemistry here that gives us a, a novel thing. And I think that comes from having a large repertoire of, of knowledge of something like that. And then you need to, but creativity itself is the ability to actually playfully go in all these directions that are, in many cases, are going to end up yielding nothing because the things really are disconnected maybe in some way currently for you um but really working on the on the ability to bring these two things uh to one mind at the same time that enlarges a repertoire when it comes to knowledge i think this can also be said to be true for our emotional lives so uh you know you want to be able to feel 
the right um, emotion at the right time to make it fitting and to have any kind of aversion toward one of the emotions is unwise right of course you don't want to be fearful all the time because then you're suffering from from anxiety or you want to be sad all the time because then you're depressed or you want to be you don't even want to be happy all the time because that can be very awkward so you want to have the repertoire and then respond so i like the idea of a, of a dialogue here again and something you said also made me the the growth mindset you also see that in i think a very good example is for example professional athletes because a lot of them Earlier in their career, if you're talking about some sort of team sport, like I'm thinking LeBron James, let's say, or basketball, mm-hmm. you're going to be able to um, get points doing one thing when you're young, right? Which is basically you can drive to the basket because mm-hmm. you're a, a mountain of a man, right? And just rely on your strength or something. But later in your career, you're going to have to figure out other ways to be as efficient right and this doesn't happen unless you're your own scientist about the kind of repertoire that you have to to operate in the world and that uh that's something that's very interesting um i'm interested lately um in the in the two modes of being because obviously you're coming here and all we have right now being in different parts of the world and communicating through this digital uh, medium yeah. is we have our words right and we're going mm-hmm. to be talking about concepts and categories mm-hmm. and this is a, a very salient mode of, of thinking and dealing with the world for us at the same time we are talking about flow about dance about movement about sports mm-hmm. and it seems to be a completely different thing so i'm curious for you have you have you had to work on kind of saying to yourself okay enough with this now start this or what is a what is a good way to move between the two and for example not filter everything through your mind when you're out in nature trying to survive or when you're on stage doing improv dance um yeah well, look, I, uh, you mentioned several times dance. Well, I'm not a dancer. I appear to be a lot around dancers, and I consider freestyle wrestlers uh, perfect dancers, right? Or I, mm-hmm. I consider uh, basketball players also amazing dancers because they can use the rhythm and mm-hmm. footwork. And so I, I find uh, I find dancing as an expression of or as a word for trying to communicate to other people that someone is well coordinated and understand the rhythm of their body and can adjust that rhythm to different rhythms right so if you are a basketball player you're not only capable of doing skills but you can find affordances in the game that doesn't give you a freedom to go somewhere you're able to find an alternative solution what what the interesting thing that you said and i will probably not ask answer the questions you Ask, but what comes to my mind when you were saying about creativity, um, uh, when you really look at the creative work, like when I engage in a, developing a new work, means I create a new training tool or I am creating new artwork or I'm creating new sculpture or whatever that might be, or maybe some performing arts uh, kind of um, uh, performance. Uh, if I calculate really the time I invest 
to find something new. The effectivity of creativity is 0.02%. Imagine that I work with 10 excellent, 10 excellent um, stage, like a set designers, costume designers, light designers, uh, composers. I mean, I work with a really high class, world class artist or creative people. Then I work with amazing performers. I work with amazing athletes, like athletes that got a golden medal in Olympic Games, right? And you work with them on something creative. The time invested, like let's say I invest 10 months of maybe eight hours a day and I'm going to create maybe 30 minutes of genuinely new material, right? So think mm-hmm. of the time investment and what you get and how much of garbage there is, how much of entropy you create by trying to be creative. So there is something we need to understand. Is this is very important economy. On one hand, we are very conservative creatures, as Jacob Hovey would say from Predictive Mind, is an author of Predictive Mind book. Uh, Jacob Hovey says, okay, we need to stay in homeostasis. We need to stay within the limits of our, our phenotype that makes us very conservative creatures. So we need to, we try to reduce the entropy to minimum. We try to stay in homeostasis with least amount of energy. On the other hand, we need to explore the world in order to find new opportunities, right? Because the energy of whatever kind is not distributed evenly. So you have to search for energy. You have to reduce the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. So in one way, you look for no entropy, reduce the entropy. On the other hand, you have to increase the entropy in order to find a novel pathway somewhere to find some new opportunities. And this is very, very interesting. Now, how do we do that? So you were talking about emotions. You were talking about how we, what is this creative process? So this creative process is what? So at first, um, in the lowest level, if you, to, uh, if you talk about evolution, at the lowest level, we have level of homeostasis, which is just acting here and now. I need to fix something because something is going off, slightly off the balance. And here I will pause a little bit because this is important for the listeners. When someone tells you that, they are off the balance and there are techniques, meditative techniques, moving techniques to get you back in the balance. There is something wrong in a language. When you are alive, you are in balance. Even when you are in a horrible state, if you are alive, you are in a perfect balance. The question we need to ask how much energy it costs you to stay in that balance, right? So mm-hmm. you are always in balance when you're alive. Even if you are 100 years old, even when you're injured, even when you're in hospital, you are alive, you are in a balance, but it just costs you enormous amount of energy. That's why you would probably fall off that balance and die, right? So first thing is, is this economy. We would like to dance with the world. We would like to create mm, shared ecological rationality means that I understand the world. Uh, I understand how I interact with the world through dialogue. The secondary thing that we need to talk about is that the evo- throughout the evolution, we um, first we, we were talking, Canon was talking about homeostasis, then Shulkin talked about, uh, about allostasis. Allostasis is having balance through relation. Allos in Greece means someone else. Mm-hmm. Stasis means staying the same. So I am the same through relation. That's an allostasis concept. And then it came later on to the, together with uh, computational neurosci- neuroscience where Andy Clark, Friston, um, Jacob Hovey, and, and many other really great scientists that I <clears throat> will not mention right now, they came with this the amazing uh, formulation. They, they say counter 
factual simulation or active inference, which means that in absence of external stimuli, you can create some kind of internal theater. And you put in that theater whatever components you need in order to come up with the best possible solution in that given moment. And what we have spent a lot of time with Linda in FM practice and in Rootless Root and really spending years and years is how we can create that matrix, that white or black room into which we put whatever components we need to simulate life, to prepare you better to go into life and act in it. And, um, and we have found out, uh, we have found out that uh, it is not enough to just simulate things in your life. It is sometimes important to put them in paper, sometimes not only put them on paper, but maybe put them on paper and share them verbally with someone else. And sometimes this is also not enough. So you kind of place it and create a model of it. So you create a small model. So it's like, okay, you want to make an sports shoe. So you call designer, you call someone who can paint that new design. You, you invite someone who works with the leather. You work with someone with, who works with rubber. You work, so we bring all that team together and you simulate how could that new shoe or new product or new um, training method could look like in order to help a top athlete or someone who is, who is running a big company. So we create a small model of it. But then this, this might also not be enough. So then you create a bigger theater where you actually can act and like a reenact the world with other actors in it. So almost like a real theater. Mm -hmm. And you put set, you put objects, and you can then hypothesize about which possible futures I could create. And then you select the best possible hypothesis. That's where I spend most of my creative energy for last 15 years. And we revealed or it gave us so much of fruit, so much of so much of richness that we could then share with the others when they were looking at the problems that seemed to be impossible to solve. Wow. Yeah, that's that's really interesting um, about really trying to bring to life one of these possible uh, futures to see. So I'm interested in hearing about do you do you actually get the the feedback or like the result of the experiment if it can be called that only when it's only when it's uh put up and do you feel that this is what what people actually react to when they when they see that and that um yeah is it is it ultimately like an experiment and where do you personally being the uh, mastermind behind such uh, behind such experiments. Uh, yeah, is this the point where you actually? Mm-hmm. It's very nice, very nice. Uh, yeah, look, go ahead. You are not a mastermind because it's self emerging knowledge, right? When you when you place something in space, the things they will be realized by themselves. Only what you offer, you facilitate that experience. That's all. What what, what is beautiful about about this type of simulation work? That can I don't know how listeners could imagine that you can be a basketball player or coach or you can have a basketball team or you can have a CEO of the company or company itself like members of the company or you can create something that did not exist before you basically for them simulate whatever situations they feel that it's difficult to cope with. Sometimes what we realize is that talking about how to solve the problem is one thing and realizing is completely another. Sometimes we say, yes, I can cope with it. And then you say, okay, go in a space and try to cope with it. And we realize we have very limited vocabulary 
We have very limited information reservoir. We are too little open to actually put things in action. So one thing is I say something. Another thing is I am capable of doing it or at least pretending that I'm doing it. And now pretending Mm -hmm. doesn't mean this negative pretending, like we have this bad connotation, oh, he's just pretending. But really, it's like a fighter. Fighter, before he goes to fight, he makes a lot of different scenarios in fighting club right so you wrestle you strike and you look and you train and change partners you change the strategies you go floor you go standing game you go close you go far etc and you observing people acting in it and only what you tell them is like what do you see i see you are not using your feet i see you are getting very stressed i see and as you um, as you tell them what you see, you insert information in them. You make richer their mapping of what they are capable or not capable of doing. And by the dialogue, you slowly expand their capacity there. I call it like a diapason of your colors that you can offer in critical situations. And um, yes, I find it uh, inspiring. So this is one of the works that we would be doing with many, many different people. And it's kind of, I find it inspiring and and revealing a lot of truth about ourselves. So it can be sometimes painful. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So it's, it sounds like to me, um, when you talk about this kind of um, energetic economy that's going on in and around us and in our um, intercourse with the world, it sounds like there could be just is there it now it seems to me that maybe there is a spectrum of moments that are require more um immediate action right whereas there are at other times and i think this is what this is the result of us as humans evolving to be pretty much out of the food chain and so on a lot of moments where we are um yeah can can afford to to just rest or something like that or be in our minds right the, the whole tendency to be in one's mind is afforded by the fact that we we're not in constant struggle with other animals and so on um and not in constant competition for our next meal right the fact that we don't that we can't anymore eat every bit of sugar that we find in our ways evidence for that and it seems like to maybe get over the problem of being so much in our minds and living a, a fantasy world that can actually be detrimental because we're mm-hmm. we're actually able to run through scenarios where everything goes wrong and we we always lose right we always the people we love always die in our thoughts and stuff like that and this is very miserable it sounds like um every bit of time that we have where we are not required to have a very immediate action, one solution for it could be to always come with the framing of I'm preparing for something or learning something. Like learning seems to be an activity that is um, afforded by having free time or leisure, but uh-huh. at the same time it is um, it is purposeful. Yeah. You know, and I- it is going to, to prepare you for the next thing. Yeah. Uh, uh, I will I will oversimplify. I, I hope the listeners they will apologize, but I will oversimplify a little bit the evolutionary kind of 
strategy here. So look, we, we think always that we are doing this kind of internal theater only when in a modern society, but think of it a little bit differently. Think of, we are, we are new apes. So our evolutionary lineage is maybe some 7 million years. But I argue, or what, what is my take is that even when we've been eaten by, so we were not hunter-gatherers, but hunted-gatherers, we still had enough mm-hmm. time to paint in the caves. There was always a time for us to just play, to just to express ourselves, even in the tough times. And maybe because of those tough times, we needed to play more and be more curious and more creative, right? So I think that the, the actual struggle for life made us more creative the creativity didn't come later the creativity was at the beginning because we would be maybe eaten because we are really struggling for our existence so the play is plays very important and it's always been there and always been very very uh, uh, fundamental and central to our well-being and our evolution now uh, sometimes I explain to my students uh, one kind of expanding consciousness kind of model uh, about how do we practice so um Sometimes we practice like this. We go to a treadmill and we train there. And uh, some people say, oh, treadmill is not very good training. It is very good training. With treadmill, you can become a still a world champion ultramarathoner, right? You can, like, half of your time, you can be in a treadmill and you can still be quite, quite amazing. Even if I in past was saying, no, 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 treadmill is not good because the floor is running underneath you. It's different than you pushing the floor. Regardless, it is very, very good training. It's really good training. But somehow you can think about other things when you are doing in a trend, when you are doing treadmill. You can think about whatever you want. So there is kind of low consciousness there. You can even watch TV or a movie. Mm-hmm. Then uh, like a higher consciousness is when someone says, okay, I have enough of treadmill. I go into Atletico Val. That's a little bit better than treadmill, but you are running like a rat in the same circle all the time, the same surface, the same distance, the same, you know, it's always the same shape. It's really kind of you understand an environment so well very quickly. And you're always going, (coughs) maybe you change the direction. It's really low consciousness still. Then someone says, okay, I go a little bit further. I go to do cross-country running. But then eventually, you know, okay, you get to know the places that you are running. And maybe you even change constantly the places, but you kind of know where you're going to run. But everything changes from the moment when you start to run in environments that you do not know, which means that you're running and you know that you have to be capable of returning back and keeping in memory where you've been so you are capable of coming back to your safety or to the nutritions that you would need to replenish yourself because we rarely go only in one direction and never return back. And then a whole another story would be if you go to the some kind of natural environment and you're hunting, that changes and expanded your capacity. You need to observe a little plants, where are the mushrooms, how the environment changes, where are moving the animals. So suddenly you do not push your body to the limit. You start to more look around. You may be run, you may be walk, you may be stand because you need to understand the dynamics of that environment. And even more consciousness comes into a play when you are being also hunted. Not only did you hunt, but also they hunt you, which could be translated into big cats were eating us in past or saying that we are competing for different resources in a modern age, right? And I am very much interested in that last circle. I'm not interested in how you run. I'm interested how you run when someone is chasing you. That's what I'm mm. interested in. 
how you can be running when someone or something is chasing you constantly and it doesn't create in you and the stress response that you're constantly activated when you are in, in a state of arousal and basically stress destroys your life. So how in that very competing mm-hmm. world you can still be yourself and find the beauty in life and creative opportunities that are there. So that's kind of this respond about what you what you've been talking about is play and creativity and maybe the struggle struggle for life. Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, I'm definitely um, getting a clear view of it. Thank you. So yeah, I think I, I really like the reframing of us, of course, needing to be creative in order to survive in the in the in the first place. And I think that's that's. Part of the challenge that we face as a culture, as a society now, right? It's, it's almost yeah. that now that we, now that survival is more guaranteed, that's where the existential crisis comes, yeah. comes into play, right? And suddenly yeah. appears and it's like, what are we here for? Yeah. Even? yeah. And, um, yeah so I, I'd love, I'd love to hear from you about, about, um, yeah you're seeing of this of this crisis and and what what could be done about it how can we reframe it to not suffer so much from it you know the world became really standardized that's the whole business you know like imagine let's let's go back 50,000 years ago you go to pick up some berries and every berry is a slightly different position and so your body is looking your body scheme i look at it from the phenomenological kind of approach your body schema your sensory motor format needs to look for economy needs to look for some kind of commonalities looks for some kind of regularities useful regularities that you can use in the future so your body is looking for some kind of solutions optimal solutions but because everything is variable or slightly variable and now you find yourself in an environment when everything is standardized the size of the the sidewalk the curb the handles the toilets you always sit in the same size of the toilet so everything is standardized so suddenly wow that can be that can become very detrimental to us right because surfaces are flat i remember my son going first time to nature who could not compute the inclination of the ground he didn't understand Mm -hmm. what what danger it can bring, right? What the, what is the quality of the surface? The stones, the mud. When it's raining or when it's dry, the, the surface is behaving in a, in a very different way. So that that the standards that we have create an enormous challenge for us. We also also our life become kind of meaningless. I just hear in all these podcasts, someone says, "Yeah, you need to try and you live to you need to like live nine times your 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 weight. Otherwise, you know, like your uh, you will increase the pot- potentiality of having some kind of cardiovascular disease." What they are talking about? If you have meaningful <laughs> meaningful life, you just go to garden and you do things. You do things for the other people. Who wants to live weights? Of course, I'm lifting the weights as well because, you know, for the wrestling training or for, for my sports, whatever. But we spend so much time on meaningless activities and we become more and more depleted. And we want to be still stay young and we want to be muscular and want, we want to perform endlessly and we want to be, we, don't, we do not want to age and we're depleting our bodies. We eventually become so empty that only what we do is like 
feed ourselves with supplements because I need to train the same way as as they propose to me, as the protocols they say. I cannot lose the weight because how I, how I would look in front of the other people. I have a wrinkles. Oh my God, I'm getting old. Maybe I've stopped <laughs> to do certain activities that I was doing before. What the other people will say. We think about other people. We are so miserable in our life. Because we want to we want to have things instead of be. We are we are mm. occupied by what we have. We are not occupied by being in life. Imagine you spend mm-hmm. all the time that you put in your gym, spend helping other people. You know the world would be very very different. When I work, you know, when when I work with my father in in in, in nature, or in fact, let's let's talk about like freestyle wrestling. If you okay, go to gym or do your pull ups or build up your beautiful body or just have a big belly. And just wrestle with everyone every day just to be a better communicator, right? And be always tackled by mm. someone who is more intelligent in listening to you. Wow, that's a, that's a beautiful opportunity. Or go and it's just, I think like we, we miss somehow the purpose. And because the purpose is missing, we try to put testosterone in ourselves or we try to take supplements or we try to stay healthy. How you even anyone can, how anyone can promise to anyone health? You will always get sick. So we need to redefine what health means. Health is not absence of illness. Health is the capacity having network of connections that will help you to overcome the troubles you are in. So I think we got things wrong. We, we, became, we became really like a hundred ghosts. Like this, well, that's the expression from Gabor Mate, I think. We are just, yep. we are so I read empty. it. It's a, it's a very hard book to read. <laughs> Yeah. So it's like, you know, like we became empty in ourselves. I, I was, you know, I was in, I was in one meeting uh, and they were talking about how to save the, the, the nature, how to work with ecology, how, what to do with the garbage, etc. And I said to them, look, if you do not change the energetical level of people, if they feel depleted, they will create more gap, more more garbage because they're constantly hungry because they are not happy with themselves. So they consume because they are not happy. So they consume, consume. See, unless you change that feeling of them being fulfilled in their life, understand that they have already arrived. You you have already arrived today. You have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. You are completed as a human being. You don't have to always rush besides what someone tells you you should be doing. If you are, if you understand that completeness of yourself, if you come in peace with yourself in some way or another, and find out more out more authentic self, you become more authentic to yourself. Then, of course, you will produce less garbage, right? The also the other problem is that people clean up garbage for us. This is a big problem. You have a headache, you take a pill. Mm-hmm. That pill took a garbage away from you. They took a problem from you. What do you do? You sit in the toilet, you shit, you splash, and the shit is gone. But where is it gone? Well, you do not care. You come in the, in the evening, you put the garbage in a garbage uh, bin. You come in the morning and it's empty. It's all magical. I said, okay, if you want to make a change, collect your garbage and put it in your balcony. I am really, really sure you're going to make very fast changes not to collect garbage anymore. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, so so much in there. Uh, first, um yeah, the first thing that kind of came to my mind where you mentioned the diversity of movement that we had as a species moving around the savanna. You know, this really struck me because um, a philosopher that I, I appreciate very much, uh, David Deutsch, 
kind of looks at around 50,000 years or whatever it is. Um, if you look back at those times, it's interesting that there's um, we live in an almost inverse world. So in some senses, the diversity of certain things has, has really gone up. Today, I can be a lot more specialized, right? I can I can afford to be a lot more specialized in my uh, work when it comes to my profession and, and professional knowledge and so on. But if you go back to these ancient times, it's, it's really true that we were a lot more diverse when it came to movement. And movement is a very important part of intelligence. So it's, it's, it's the first time where I kind of think about, because he talks a lot about how um, those days creativity was uh, basically spent on being conservative. So what he means is that you live in a village and societies were very, very conservative. And basically having new ideas about ways of life were not usually um, supported most likely your village would tell you it's like you know Joseph that's crazy we cannot uh, we cannot afford to put all this um, energy into building a wheel like this is this sounds like a great idea but we would have to stop all our activities which have sustained us and our ancestors for thousands of years now to get to experiment with this new wheel of yours you know which we're we don't we don't know if it's going to work Right. So he talks a lot about how creativity was kind of wasted in a sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I uh, but now uh, this is undoubtedly true that in some senses we were a lot more creative and perceptive in in finding out about um, different uh, different uh, regularities and, and patterns, as you mentioned. So this is really interesting for me and really um, kind of expanding my my horizons about it. And then I also wanted to, yeah, to to really refer to your main point about our relationship within um, society and coming to the point today where we have this crisis. And I also, it seems to be a, a very good point to make explicitly, as far as I understand it, and you can correct me, but there's definitely a feeling that seems to be the default in today's society that we do understand very clearly that something is not right, right? And this is the kind of feeling that we walk around from quite a young age, maybe adolescence or so, whenever it is that we lose our naivete or the, you know, being a kid who is kind of just happy with wherever they are. We have a feeling that something is wrong, a lack. Um, And it's, it's very interesting now that you kind of shine the projector on really just a different place it seems like we've been looking under the the light where the light is and not where the thing is because the light that culture kind of um switches on for us is the light of of the level of the self right it's like I am the organism, I lack something, so I'm going to look for something that's going to complete me right? Whereas you shine the light on something that's outside of yourself, and it's the kind of light that would attract another person. And you're never going to find an object under this light, but you're going to find one another, right? And this is probably what we're um, starved for, is is really the, the connections. Now, yeah. my question is, like, for me, I ask this a lot, 
how do we find more balance? How do we make it more normal? Because our world currently is not. It's like I, I have more and more discussions with people like yourself and we can agree that this is something, but it still seems that we're far away from from having that as the default, from healing that societal illness. Yeah. Uh, look, I, I am I'm no one to give any advice, uh, but uh, how, how I see it, each generation thinks that the current generation or current situation is apocalyptic. So this is a kind of uh, recurring theme. We always think this is the worst thing. How I see it, we always face the similar problems and we've been always kind of trying to be creative. So as much we've been creating in past, we are extremely creative also now. I really enjoy the society right now. I just have the feeling that mm -hmm. some things go off balance, but they've always been going off balance. So I, I really enjoy the yeah. technology. I really enjoy the expansion of our minds. I really I like the extension of our minds, that we extend our minds through the technology and we can do some really, really incredible stuff. It's the question of how we are really using it and how we can use our embodied, embedded, situated and extended mind. This is Andy Clark talks about it really, really beautiful. So our mind is situated in our bodies, right? Those, so not only in bodies, that means that when I use, the way I'm using my body, the way I'm positioning myself in the world, the way I'm acting in the world creates a certain perception, certain knowledge. And I'm kind of looping back to your beginning when you started to talk, you said about, okay, we, what, is the, what is the perception and what's the variability of the movement? So someone can say, I don't need to have a variable movement. Of course you don't need, because we are not talking about range of motion. We are not talking about you being flexible. We are not talking about you being able to throw a ball into a basket or kick the ball into a goal. We are talking about the very fundament of knowledge. If you do not move, you cannot perceive. If your eyes are not moving, if your fingers are not touching the mm -hmm. surfaces, if your feet are not moving through the landscape, you cannot come to the objects, to the environment that can reveal a certain knowledge. So we need movement in order to perceive, to be, to exist. So our actions pretty much define our cognition, right? So the way I'm moving and positioning myself in the world. Uh, so if from, I think from that perspective, I find important that we have a creative movement, that I'm looking at, I can, I have a capacity to look at the things from a slightly different angle than someone else. I have this very first personal phenomenological kind of approach to life. And so I can contribute to the world, my kind of perspective, and I'm inclusive. I kind of embrace all other perspectives as well. And so we, so we through dialogue and through exchange of our ideas, like when you have a scientific theory, you publish something or you are about to publish something, you have peer reviews, right? And they give you, send you feedback and you are improving. And this is so much, this is so, so important for me. So um, I am looking for adversarial collaboration. I'm looking for people that would disagree with me so I can move forward and refine the ideas that I'm, that I'm looking for. So we were talking about the diversity of the movement, which is the diversity of perceptions, the angles by which I can be looking at the world. And then we were talking about this creativity that we always hear. We always face different troubles and we've been very, really amazing in how we, how we, how we solve them. Um, yes, now maybe we have a little bit of challenge with the fact that, yes, everything is a little bit standardized and we kind of create a cultural constructs like sports of some kind and we identify ourselves with them mm -hmm. and we become very loyal to them. And that can, of course, 
create some misbalances in our bodies. Um, but it's up to us to say, okay, I want to be a decathlonist of life or I want to be an expert. An expert is fine. I, experts are good, but you are an expert. Are you still open to hear other people and return back to more like the neutral state and incorporate new information inside? That's all okay. That's all fine. You can be perfectly tuned into doing one and one thing only. But how often do you go to base camp to understand what that particular sport or activity you're doing has an effect on you, right? So be a basketball player, be a sculptor, be a poet, be whatever you want to be and focus on it and become the best in the world in it. But return some sometimes back to your base camp and say, is this really me? How I can bring more creativity into it. How I can look at the game in a way that no one else looked before, right? And this is when you mention some really great basketball players. They come, you know, this, I don't have to, I don't, I don't like to mention the words from tennis or basketball or any other sport, but there are these individuals that are capable of stretching or bending the rules in such a way that they become unexpected, that they become unpredictable. Mm. They bring something novel into the game because we are inherently very creative creatures. And my role as an educator, as someone who worked in academia, um, offer public workshops and do some research, research of some kind, I say how I could help potentially people to test their creativity, not only talk about their creativity, but really test and do them and how they could be creative in sculpting the world, attending, creating the world, and but also being creative in the way they can maintain themselves, maintain the way they understand themselves, how they are aging, and what probably what information got lost from their system. So intelligent and creative in both ways, towards the world, but also towards ourselves. Yeah, that's lovely. That's lovely. And, you know, to connect it with the main theme of, of relationships or or connecting with others, I think that for me... Um, I joke that, you know, having a podcast is just my own cheat code for thinking creatively, because yeah. if I were to try and do it all in my mind, I might come up with something like one out of a million new idea and I would get the credit for it, whatever. But really, I get on a podcast, I, ha I literally ha cannot predict what you're going to say next. And then yes. this meeting of the minds is necessarily going to, to give rise to something that is, that is novel. So I think for anybody who's looking to, um, whether it's improve their game or their thinking or gain any kind of insight, it's again, the reaching out to the, yes. the discourse that is, that is absolutely guaranteed. So on one level, you say that a lot of the creative endeavors can be viewed as very entropic. I think once you involve other people, it's almost guaranteed to be to be creative because you and I are going to come up with responses that are meaningful to both of us based on yeah. on our wish to connect with one another and yeah. not just say just anything that comes to our yeah. mind and in that sense like that that um is almost guaranteed to to make to make us progress you know yes yes i i don't i don't i i cannot truly if if anyone is listening, I have to be honest, there is nothing mine in, I've wrote like, a, yeah. <laughs> my, my, in, in my own work, I've wrote now like 700 pages of different notes and different references. It's something that I work on. There is nothing mine. 
I kind of build it up on offers from other people. The, the fact that I am appearing in this space, that I have the luxury to be my major job in my life is to create and offer creativity to other people is thanks to other people that I met in life early enough, right? That they offer me that kind of view that they allow me to say, they allow me to think that I can also create the world that did not exist before. And I realized how few people actually had that opportunity in life, being part of the creative process, creating world that did not exist before, creating world out of nothing, so to say, right? So, um, yes, no, I, I, I have to thanks to everyone whom I ever met. And it is not what I discuss with some of my students. I say this is not these big masters that we are talking about, but these invisible people that they just brush their shoulder against us and just set something on the street that completely changed our mind, right? Uh, yeah, so thanks to all of them. You know, I'm thinking of my teacher of communication. I, I've done my PhD on voice and communication and she was a wonderful movement and woman and she really taught me a one simple thing when I started to go to university. She said, Joseph, the really only thing you need to learn is to how you sound as you. What is your authentic sound? Once you understand that, it's hooray. You can do whatever you want in acting, in building up companies, building up friendships, etc. So, so find out your authentic sound. If you find that authentic sound, then you can vary it around that authentic sound and add colors, whatever emotional colors you want. You can, like, your voice will be really, really alive. You can share your inner world and you can also, therefore, perceive the world of rich world of other people. And when we were doing research together with her for, I spent with her in university almost eight years, then the, the absolute essence we says, okay, so how do you sound the best as you? And we realize you sound the best as you when you say positive yes. When you say positive yes, mm -hmm. when you, that's where you vibrate the best. And this is symbolic, but also very practical. This is really where, you, where your resonation is really the most fantastic, but also symbolically it's like when you say yes, you embrace, you want to engage, you want to kind of engage in a dialogue. And, you know, um, these are these masters that, say these simple sentences and if you are capable of hearing them and investigate how they could be applied to life that just brings so much joy because the life is life is rather complex but can be solved with elegance the the uncertainties mm. in life can be solved with elegance i i always remember that whenever whenever trouble i had i just had to pick up the phone or just knock some doors and those beautiful friends these beautiful creatures that I met, they helped me to overcome or reduce the, reduce the complexity of the environment, at least for a little while, until they taught me how to solve it in the future. I don't remember I have solved anything by myself. So my really biggest asset is network of connections that can be wired in a million different ways. These neural sub-assemblies that can form, reform, activate, or deactivate in a million possible ways. There is this pluripotent capacity of the brain to stay open. Yeah, that that is that is wonderful, and this has been such an uplifting conversation for me, for sure. Um, yeah, I think that if we think for ourselves, like if we are very busy with the idea of how I how I I am going to succeed in life, you know, 
I, I the, the the more the older I get, I realize that a lot of the times it's you see a lot of life's biggest questions and the people the the things that people are really busy about like i recently deleted my twitter account and now i feel a lot better but when i was on there like a very common theme is like how do i make it right make it um financially make it in my you know become a professional an expert somebody that people look up to how how am i going to succeed right and you see this a, a lot of people very focused on that and trying to find the solution and when as they try to find the solution you have the self-proclaimed gurus who are going to show you the way to do it right and then the more i look at these kind of things i the more i see the value in like taking a step back and like okay there's succeed in that question but there's the i part should i change this i part maybe maybe that's going to help me when you change it to we that's going to be a lot easier to actually succeed in life. We succeed in life. You're still in there. You're part of the we, so you're going to succeed. Don't worry about it. It's just going to be a lot easier when you make that shift into we and you include more people and you stop focusing about yourself as the as the whole and understand that you are part of the network. And I think that kind of uh, sets you on a, on a beautiful path to actually succeed along others, which wouldn't have happened um, anyway, otherwise. You know, uh, uh, the, uh, I try to inspire people that I am with because I like to be with people. And as I feel inspired, I share things with them. They ask certain questions. Those questions are intelligent. I respond to those questions. And so there is this growing dialogue that allows you to grow. Whatever we have, whatever I feel like I kind of understood about life-supporting practice, that's what I'm working on, I need to understand, <laughs> I need to share with the other people to say that whatever we created was through the questions and through the obstacles and through the challenges that we met through the worlds that they shared with us. So it is thanks to them that we have something. And my obligation, that's what we said with Linda, is, is our obligation is to make whoever work with us greater than we are. And then some of my students even said that, uh, I think it was Lorenzo from Portugal, a friend of mine, who said, Joseph, you work on a project that you cannot complete. This will be completed maybe in a three generations after you. And I felt mm -hmm. like, wow, this is really great. I don't have to rush anywhere. I'm just like a passage to something <laughs> so much greater. So I can just cool down and just keep on and give myself appropriate time for the research and for the observations that I need instead of rushing and trying to tell the world how amazing I am. I think I'm pretty amazing, but <laughs> I, feel, I feel pretty amazing for myself, right? Um, anyway, uh, anyway, yes. And uh, maybe sometimes some people would say, oh, this is so altruistic. This is such a, such a, a pretentious thing. But um, uh, uh uh, I go from book to book, I go from experience to experience, and it's thanks to those people that made so much an effort and so much of work that uh, that we can move forward and just make this slight step forward. And maybe even not, maybe we are not the ones that uh, that we can do it. And uh, what I have, or when you were saying about these gurus or teachers or whatever, I'm also a teacher, so uh, I'm afraid I could always fall into that holding the, the Lord of the Rings. So, yes, it's very good to give it to other people. But I have realized that we really need to do only, uh, uh, we need to, uh, what we need to, we do not need to do anything. But the practice that will help us, this, how was your first question? Your first question is, what do you do in order to, like, be better in life, maybe joyful more life? 
really what you only need to learn is to how to correct the error. So your practice should offer you three basic components. Feedback, to know that you are running into a trouble or that you are in a trouble. You need to be capable of correcting that error that you are creating and plan better for the future. Look how simple it is. And so it is not authority that deciding for it. It is not yoga. It is not the Tai Chi. It is not CrossFit. It is not uh, Jiu-Jitsu. It is not wrestling, not boxing, not basketball. That is the way you look or express yourself in life. But it is the mistakes that you make or discrepancies, like a, a mismatches between your hypothesis of the world and the actual world that should lead what your practice should be composed of. So there is no one, no authority that can tell you do this or do that. The only thing that someone can teach you is this. Do you make mistakes? Okay, can you correct them? If you can correct them, you are free of anyone. And what we are doing together, we consult the way you're spotting the mistakes and the way or strategies you are correcting them. And we are sharing these strategies between each other. That's the whole service we can offer to each other's. But not saying this is better, this is worse. We do not know because context changes everything. But if you allow people to think independently, says, okay, I thought of something, I thought of certain strategy. It didn't bring the results. It didn't reduce the uh, uncertainties the way I imagined. Can I correct the hypothesis of the world or can I correct the actions in order to bring the desired states I was looking forward to? That's the whole business. Things are really much more simple than we present it to people. But we're kind of packaging it in a weird way. We're making it mysterious. And people are hungry. They want to know the secret. It's really, this is the secret. Our brain is a statistical organ. Tries to correct the errors. That's the whole business. And we, are, we can just help that process. We can just add to that process through our metacognition and through the creating of this theater in a theater in our minds or in the in the in the actual theaters that we've been talking about just minutes ago absolutely absolutely well this is um this is great feels like this episode is almost like an action movie for um i love it i love the the high tempo and everything that you say then obviously like you said not enough time uh but where we, maybe we will make more in the future um yeah. so thank you very very much for sharing all these thoughts uh with me i, I really really appreciate it and yeah. before we go i'd love for you to share with listeners um anything about uh, the various projects that you're involved with and maybe they can maybe where they can hear uh, more from you and about you yeah I, I, I keep uh, I stay kind of secretive I, I'm not talking I'm not making too much public speaking because I'm still formulating my ideas and theories and hypotheses so uh, but there is here and there on social media as they can hear a little bits and pieces so but if they are willing to just to get a little bit of taste of what we are doing, how we are looking at the world, then they could visit us sometimes in our workshops that are happening in many different places. And uh, they are very beautiful people. So anyone will be embraced, uh, old, young, injured, healthy, sick. Um, I know that people are kind of scared to our workshops. They look like um, hyper-athletic and maybe sometimes like to coordinate and people say, oh, I cannot coordinate like that. I cannot move that way. But everyone can move in, in a hilarious way. Everyone can be really amazing athlete uh, of 
and I'm talking about whatever ages, right? Anyone can come who, even if you feel like you have an injuries or you feel like your body is broken or your mind is broken or whatever, there is always a place to come and explore with us and I'll, and I'll do my best. So you, you would improve your quality of life. So that's, that's, that's my message. And, and I want to thank you AL for an opportunity to talk to your listeners. And I hope that it, made some kind of sense. I, I know I speak very fast and I know I'm jumping from left to right, but that's just a nature of my artistic mind <laughs> um, uh, that I had to deal with. This is not an easy mind, but uh, this is the mind that I have and this is the way I'm sharing the information. Well, I, I for one, absolutely love your mind. And um, yeah, it's um, the, the good thing about recordings is that people can re-listen if they feel like it. <laughs> so yeah, Joseph, thanks again. And uh, looking forward possibly to another time as well. Thank you so much for the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you for everything.